Welcome to Press Play, the Street Cred podcast with Elena Krasnow, yours truly, and Jimmy Moak from Street Cred PR. In this podcast, Jimmy and I will welcome industry leaders, journalists, influencers, and friends of the firm to shed some light on who they are and the various twists and turns that led them to where they are today. We're grateful to have you listening in, and we hope you enjoy the show. My name is Elena Krasnow. Welcome to Press Play, the Street Cred Podcast. I'm so grateful you're here. I'm the editorial manager and client brand evangelist at Street Cred PR and your host for today's show, along with co-host and managing partner, Jimmy Moak. We will break down the show into two segments, Press, where we dive into all the hard news about our guest life and their professional goals, and then Play, where we have a little extra fun with it. Today, we are delighted to be joined by expert wealth tech reporter and all-around wonderful human being, Justin Mack. To give our listeners a little more background on the man behind the pen or the keys, depending on the day, Justin is the wealth tech reporter for financial planning, as well as the host and lead editorial producer of the Financial Planning Podcast. A Cleveland, Ohio native, Justin earned his bachelor's degree in communication and political science from Purdue University before spending more than a decade as a USA Today network journalist with the Lafayette Journal and Courier and the Indianapolis Star. His work as a reporter, anchor, moderator, and host has earned him awards for coverage of a multitude of verticals, including crime, politics, pop culture, business, breaking news, and investigations. Justin also serves as a board member for the Indiana Professional Chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists. In addition to exploring the role technology plays in the lives of advisors on a daily basis, Justin also covers efforts to address the diversity and cultural issues that have plagued financial services for generations. Justin, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. And now I feel like I got to live up to my intro. Like you say all that stuff. And it's like, <laughs> boy, that's what I do. I always I always <laughs> drill down my job is really I talk to strangers. Um, Our and, job is to gas you, know, you up. You're incredible. I dig it. I'm feeling empowered. I'm going to go run through a wall and then realize that that's going to hurt and I'll <laughs> sit down somewhere. But I'm so happy to be here. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. We are not liable for any walls ran into, by the way. Um, All right, that's fair. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, though. Jimmy and I are absolutely thrilled to, ha- thrilled to have you. But before we get into all things journalism, PR, and storytelling, we like to kick off the show with a deeply important question, which mm-hmm. is, what did you have for lunch today? What did I have for... Well, you know what? the it, It's a good question because the question is usually, did I have lunch today? <laughs> um, this is actually a lunch day. I did get to eat something, and it was a right. leftover leftover barbecue chicken calzone Um, and actually it was the leftovers of my wife's barbecue chicken calzone from the night before we ordered (laughs) from a place called sauce on the side Uh, i ate all of mine she didn't eat all of hers and to the victor go the spoils so yeah that with uh probably my seventh cup of black coffee was lunch today (laughs) and you know what it was pretty darn good I call my boyfriend the garbage disposal sometimes for a similar mm-hmm. reason. <laughs> oh, yeah. For, for me, it's I'm iron stomach. I can eat anyone's food. Mine, <laughs> my, you know, my wife's burrito left on the counter for two days. I'm gonna take a chance. We'll see what happens. So, yeah, never a dull moment. Yes. Some, some food like that doesn't always take well for day two. But yeah. sometimes day two on some foods like calzones, if you heat it up just right, it could be absolutely delicious. Mm-hmm. Where absolutely. where did it yeah. fall? Absolutely delicious. And for two words, one reason, but two words, I won't give any specific brand shout outs, but air fryer. Anything. Oh, it's yes. like, I feel bad. My microwave feels neglected. I look at it like, what do I need you for? <laughs> but the air fryer does a lot of lifting here in the Mac household. So I just got one and I'm starting to experiment with it daily and Ooh. I love it. 
it's I a love deep my well. air fryer too. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Yeah, I will it's... say something to, to start the show, and I hope it doesn't alienate me to any of your listeners. But I know <laughs> it sounds like blasphemy, but trust me, air fryer steaks. Ooh. Listen, I'm just saying, uh, try it out. Try it for yourself. Wow, I'm with how it. Many, how many did you overcook though? Or did you get the medium rare from the first time? And I, I nailed the medium rare for me. My wife is, unfortunately, someone who eats it done. She cooks the life out of the thing. I give, look, she she <laughs> likes it, whatever. So hers, I might have not stuck the landing on the first one, but mine were all perfect. So sorry for her. But she made that choice when she ordered her steak wrong. Yeah, it's quick, too. When we do salmon, it's like less than five minutes. It's amazing. Love it. Love it. Um, awesome. awesome. Well, very glad to hear you had lunch today. This is a subliminal question with the intent to encourage everyone to eat lunch, because I know many of us are in a similar boat as you, Justin, where sometimes mm-hmm. it just doesn't happen. Um, but let's dive in. So based on your background, it's obvious you've had a longtime passion for journalism. But I'd love to hear you know, the story from the horse's mouth. Tell us a little bit more about where your journey began and how you got to the seat that you're in today. Absolutely. And honestly, it started when I was really, really young. I just mainly because I'm nosy and I can't mind my own damn business <laughs> if I'm being completely candid. But as a kid, I was always really interested in what was going on around me, just what was going on in my community, my neighborhood, my city, my block. Uh, again, grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, more specifically grew up in a neighborhood called Bedford Heights, Ohio. Shout out to the Bearcats. And I just was one of those kids who if something was going on the night before, good, bad or otherwise, I just wanted to know new building starts going up. Mom and dad, what's that going to be when it's done? Um, You know, you hear people celebrating down the street. What's going on there? You hear someone crying or sirens coming through the slats in your windows. Why are the police here? Like, what is going on? I was just always asking those questions. And my parents always kind of drilled into me. And this was, you know, I'm I'm an 80s baby born in 85. And I started showing that kind of interest really, really young. And it was like, well, the paper of record is everything. Um, You want to know what's going on? Well, read the paper, pay attention. And my parents got the Cleveland Plain Dealer, Mm. uh, pour one out because that institution doesn't exist like it used to anymore. Newspaper business, it is what it is. So as a kid, I always read the paper when my parents read the paper. And it started off obviously reading, you know, the comics and got a little bit older. I started reading the sports section. But then when I was really young, I'm talking like eight or nine, I'm reading the Metro section or at least trying to figure that out. Um, And it's also because my parents were both really involved. My dad, he was in construction um, his entire life, but started as a carpenter, ended his career as a project manager growing up in Cleveland. And he touched so many different things that were built in Cleveland. I remember the blueprints to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame being on my dining room table as a kid because he actually, uh, at that time, he was working as a project estimator and did the bidding that landed the contract for the Rock Hall. So he was always kind of tied into the city because he worked in it. And my mom was just consummately involved in every aspect of our lives. When you think of PTA parent, that was her in every single (laughs) way. Um, So they always said, pay attention. You want to know what's up? Read the paper. Um, So I started getting into it. And then my grandmother, I got to give her a shout out because, you know, those old ladies who write into the paper every single week, letters to the (laughs) editor talking about something. That was her. I remember going to visit her all the time. She had one of those beds that were like impossibly high. Like, Grandma, how can you get into this bed? It's absurd. But on her side of the bed is where she slept. On the other side of the bed was stacks of Cleveland Plain Dealers going back, probably an archive of the past three months, no joke. And next to it was a a yellow legal pad where she was writing out what she had to say, letters to the editor, getting involved. And she would send those things out and mail them all the time. And yeah, that was just it. The paper was how you 
learned what was going on. It's how you connected. It's how you made an impact. It was a big deal. So for me, I wanted to be an, a reporter because I wanted to be the person to let people know what they should be worried about, celebrating, concerned about, awareness that I just wanted to be that because it felt like such an important job to do that. And I'm like, boy, that's that's really, really cool. So that's where it started. Uh, that's kind of where it always goes. And again, my grandmother is still that way. We're recording this episode now. Uh, we, actually, yesterday, uh, was on a Zoom call with my grandma. She just celebrated her 93rd birthday. Oh. And she is still writing to whoever is still open. I'm sure they're hearing from uh, Desi Miller. So thanks to those folks who, well, pushed me into, they didn't do it, but on my own, they sparked the flame that is, well, the past gosh, however many years of my life. Shout out and happy belated to Desi Miller, citizen yes, journalist. That is yes, awesome. citizen reporter. Absolutely, I love absolutely. that. What a beautiful origin story. I can I can just totally picture it. I love the idea of you as a kid roaming around, super curious, asking all those questions. <laughs> for sure, for <laughs> and sure. that makes perfect sense that it led you into the role that you're in now. Justin, one of the things that's always really stood out to me about your work is your ability to create a narrative and tell a compelling story. No matter how dry the subject matter, you always have the best introductions to your pieces. Thank you. Without, yeah, without giving away, you know, all your secret sauce, we'd love to hear about how you've worked to establish your creative voice as a writer in this space where, you know, stepping outside of the box can require some courage. That's a really good question. Um, and it, it's two part. It's one, the fact that by nature, I think I'm just a little bit extra. And it's it kind of comes from, I'll shout out, going back to some parental uh, influence. My mom was an artist by trade. That's what she did. That's where she got her degree and her training. Uh, went to Kent State as, as an art major. And um, up in, uh, gosh, later in her life, she went back to school to get her master's from Cleveland State for art and art history and all of that stuff. So she was always that. And my mom was always big about like pushing creativity. You want to try something, do it. Doesn't matter if it doesn't work. The whole point is to try it. She was always the uh, really, really passionate about embracing the whimsy in our lives because we don't do that enough. So and she had to do that similarly where, you know, something is dry. Maybe you got to spice it up a little bit, find the brightness in it. Um, so I wanted to do that with my work because, one, it made it more interesting for me. And as a result, I felt it was more interesting for my readers. And it also came with the fact that I didn't really have a traditional path into being a newspaper reporter. So mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to do it. So you think you would do things like work for the school paper and do this and yeah, I didn't do any of that stuff. Um, so at first, you know, working for the school paper wasn't an option. My high school didn't have a paper, so we couldn't do that. Um, but I did want to find opportunities to work on my interviewing skills, cold calling. I knew I wanted to be a, a police reporter, which was my first job I ever got in a newspaper. I had to get used to cold calling people, talking to people when they didn't want to be spoken to, to tell those stories and find those connections. So I did what any rational high school student would do when they didn't have a school paper to develop those interview skills. I started doing cold call sales for credit cards for, at the time, MBNA Bank of America, which would transform into, you know, Bank of America proper after a bunch of acquisitions. But yeah, in high school, I got a job, me and my buddies, which actually paid really well because they had a commission base if you were good on the phone. But you would call people in the evenings after school. We would drive uh, up there, do a shift that was like from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. And while people are having their dinner, we cold call them and try to sell them credit cards or balance transfer cards with really bad rates that they didn't need. Um, but it was the the most brutal training ground for learning how to carry a conversation with someone who did not want to speak with you 
Um, and I figured, you know what, here's an opportunity to develop interview skills that's very unorthodox and also put some money in my pocket, paid for prom with those commissions. It was a Let's good go. year. And then you graduate high school, you still want to be a reporter. I also was at that point developing, I had a thought of, do I want to be a reporter or go to law school? So I double majored at Purdue in, that's why I have the double major in communications and political science, because the poli side would have led to law school, but whatever, mm. it doesn't matter. Uh, so in high school, in college, okay, work for the college paper and the Purdue Expo, and it exists, shouts out to them. They're a great publication, great student journalists. Um, it's not officially affiliated with Purdue, and it's actually independent, and I actually love the work they do. But they had a model where it was a big staff, and you got paid by article, and it was a huge staff. And frankly, I needed more money in my pocket than that. They weren't paying enough, and a brother had bills, and textbooks are not cheap. Mm -hmm. So I found, uh, I got a job at what was called the Purdue Telefund. It was out of our school's development office, um, which was same thing, cold calling alums for money and donations, you know, after they graduated. And then it was also like taking tours around the school to show visiting alums. Hey, here's what we're, what we're doing at Purdue. Will you donate to us? So I continued that cold calling development of my interview skills. And it was really cool because I learned a lot about the school, which I was interested in. I'm very much a big school spirit, college pride guy, go Boilers. And I just got to talk to strangers, which I found I just love to do innately. Um, so that kind of approach being unorthodox made it seem like when I got my first journalism job, I covered a lot of dry stories. Uh, my first job was a Lafayette Journal and Courier. It's where Purdue was. It was a very agricultural area outside of covering the college. So I'm covering like corn and soybean yields for the weekend. <laughs> I remember in addition to doing police work, I am like, hey, you get in, you have to go to a area plan commission meeting to cover a rezoning because they want to extend, you know, Grandpa Johnson's porch in front of the new McDonald's that's coming to town. These are not compelling subjects on their face, people. So we got to find a way to make people give a hoot about the area plan commission meeting or the public comment period opening for the new roundabout they're going to build outside the biofuel digester. I have to figure out what the hell that even is um, and learn all this stuff that's new to me anyway, because I'm from Cleveland. We didn't have all this agricultural stuff in the first place. So it was always like, all right, if I don't know anything about this, how do I make this pop? How do I make this interesting? Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned like the intros to my stories. I think a lot about that. We have to communicate the, I guess, universal human impact of whatever we're covering to make it stand out. And that's just always what I did. And I was able to do that, I think, because I took a weird path to get here. So I didn't really have a rule book to follow that was traditional newspaper journalism. So when I got to the newspaper, I had my own style that was developed. It was just different. And I just always held on to that. So that's kind of where it comes from. So hands down, we often talk about reporters that we pitch and or work with or you know all of the above mm -hmm. and hearing you tell the story about the cold calling and the selling the the credit cards and the balance transfers is this one of the reasons is that a, a fabric of justin one of the reasons why you are actually kind to pr people like us <laughs> because you you understand what it's like to be on our side you know what maybe it is maybe subconsciously i that's part of it and i think that also uh, fp it kind of carries that that fabric our editor-in-chief brian walheimer i'll shout him out because not only is he a great eic for me now we first met at my first journalism job when i was interning in 2007 at the lafayette journal and courier he was a, a reporter there at the time that's where we first met 
Um, and he also worked in the PR world for a while before coming back to the editorial side and, mm. and all of that. So I think we get it. I think, but I think it should be like that on all sides. Everyone's doing their job. That's it. And I think a lot of kindness came my way from those alumni I was calling and as a high school and college kid and all of that. They understand this guy's doing his job. I got, you know, yelled at plenty. But there were a lot of people who showed patience and kindness and grace when they didn't have to. And I also knew that later in my career and before I got to FP again, I spent 14 years doing cops reportings and talking to people on their worst. It's, it's a different kind of dynamic than working where I am now, you know, business focused and in the trades. And again, a lot of kindness shown to me, a lot of difficult calls, a lot of understanding that everyone that I'm talking to is everyone's trying to do their jobs. So I think remembering that is is important because everyone has a job to do and everyone has a different sense of urgency that they are being either propelled by or or adhering to. And it's not always going to coincide. So you have to understand that. And I also think that the problem is sometimes we can let our professional frustrations bleed into our personal interactions. And that's always a mistake because, I mean, to be candid, I spent most of my career as a police reporter. Do you think that the local paper and the police departments always have a good relationship? And we're talking about stuff. We're not talking about even celebratory things like something new that's launching that we work with sometimes on this side. We're talking about loss of life or the, right. you know, victimization of somebody or a group of people. So there would be some very difficult interactions between newsroom and, and department that I've had to navigate or lead or get us out of. But you can't let that color your thought of the person who is doing their job, because at the same time, they got to go home and they got to think about it and they got to hold whatever negativity came from that day. Then they got to come back and do their job tomorrow. So it's just always remembering that behind every email or missed call or whatever is a person. Um, and sometimes people aren't perfect. So the interaction isn't going to be perfect. And I think we do a lot better if we keep that in mind. Absolutely. So Well said. I love the way you put that. Also, shout out to Brian. He's such a kind person, and I've loved working with him. He was one of the first reporters I ever pitched when I started working at Street Cred, and I distinctly right remember how kind he was. Yeah, um, he's a, and a great guy. Bad jokes, but good guy. <laughs> Some of the best people of the worst humor. <laughs> Jimmy waving his hand there. Hilarious. <laughs> we love you, Jimmy. Um, well, this is sort of the perfect segue. We're already kind of chatting about the relationship between journalism and PR. And I think mm -hmm. some of what you've already said, Justin, speaks to that. But from where you sit in the equation, what does ideal collaboration look like between an agency like Street Cred and publications like Financial Planning? Feel free to pepper in any PR horror stories as well. We're always <laughs> here for those. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know what? The horror stories really aren't as bad as they could have been considering how long I've been doing this and and sometimes how dicey the the subject matter has been that I've had to cover. I think the funniest thing is just always getting the pitches that completely do not adhere to what you do or who you even are. Like there's nothing I love more <laughs> than waking up to a email that says, Hey, Samantha, I hear you're interested in the 17 hottest cities for singles. <laughs> All right, cool. That shouldn't be in my inbox, but I appreciate it. It's great. So I really don't have any of those horses. And I think it also comes from the fact that I don't go into any of those interactions with any kind of negativity. I try to take, especially if I'm talking to somebody new, um, a PR contact that I've never interacted with before, there's no reason for me to go into that interaction with anything less than a clean slate and a lot of positivity. Um, I think that comes from, again, I, I, I feel like I'm a newspaper guy in financial services reporting because I am. I'm always going to be a newspaper guy and fair and balanced is not anything that's taken lightly in the way I was brought up. And, and I was trained by very old school 
reporters who keep that first and foremost. So my interactions are positive by default because I got no reason for them not to be. And and again, I think it's what I said before, keeping that front and center. I think that the ideal collaboration is one where the fact that we're all people trying to do our best is kept first and for, foremost. Yes. Um, that's the best collaboration, but there's also an understanding and a balance that should be made very clear of about what we each do and do not do. As a reporter, there's requests where that are probably going to hit, you know, the ear of you or uh, another PR person of like, no, we can't do that. That's, are you, are you kidding me? No, you can't. Just like there's plenty of times where there might be a request. And as a reporter, we have to be like, hey, you know, we're not really on that. You know, we don't work for you. We're working mm -hmm. with you. So no, we can't do that. But I think the ideal relationship is one where you can understand that those rejections that are going to come from both sides. Those asks that are going to be rebuffed are nothing personal, y'all. Just don't take it so seriously. I've had plenty Absolutely. of PR folks who've maybe taken times where I've shot something down or made something clear that we can't do this, we can't bend, I'm sorry, this is it, and and let that you know lead to some kind of negative interaction going forward. That's That's a little small, and it shouldn't be that way. And if I were to do the same thing, I'd be embarrassed as someone who was trained in in what I think is the purest way to do this which is fair and balanced and every interaction mm -hmm. should be taken in isolation and anything you carry over from the last time, if you're letting that shape how you interact with someone, you're no longer doing the job. So really? keeping that in mind, that balance is very important and making clear what you can and can't do and won't do from the jump. That makes it, you can't have any, you know, misinterpretations or horror stories. If you make it clear from the jump, and I've always been very, very clear, like, here's where I am in this, and I'm not going to go beyond that. So I've been pretty good so far, knock on wood. You know, I don't have anything that really haunts me at night. A couple of times where, in police reporting, where it's like we're getting facts from the case that are complete BS from lack of a better term, but, you know, it is what it is. But that's when we have to do our job as reporters and find other sources. So, again, they're doing their job, maybe not always to the level that it should be done for the places that they're serving but that's a whole different topic for another podcast <laughs> absolutely we could talk about that for another hour yeah, exactly um so, i love what I you said though about never taking things personally i think that's just a good rule of thumb in life as well yeah. but especially in our work because you know as P pr people we're sending out so many pitches in a day obviously some of those are not going to get responses and that is not anything to do with our character or Absolutely. how interested they are. Even sometimes it could just be that they didn't see it. So Absolutely. you got to give people grace at every opportunity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've got two follow-ups. Let's hear them. Number one, what are the 17 best cities for singles <laughs> and where does Philadelphia land on that? Because uh, as many people might know, I am single and I'm having a hard time <laughs> dating and meeting a new gal. Maybe oh, I should man. stop referring to them as gals. I don't know. That might be part um, of No, I, <laughs> unfortunately, because I didn't save that uh, listing on the 17 singles because it did not pertain to my coverage. So I can't help you there. Uh, right. But as someone who actually spent a few years, uh, well, actually a very short period of time living in Philadelphia uh, after college. I can't. I wish I had some some more insight on what's going on with singles, but yeah, man, I can't help you. I'm sorry. Where, where did you live in Philly? <laughs> uh, so after I graduated high school, I had an older sister, and after I graduated, my parents were like, "Okay, we're going to do something different." They moved out to uh, Philadelphia. My father was working for a construction company, a black-owned construction company based in Pottstown, PA. They lived out in Malvern, and okay. uh, when I graduated, I had the wonderful, wonderful experience of graduating from college 
in May 2008 in the middle of the economic turndown. And guess what wasn't available? Journalism yeah. jobs. So I had a handshake deal with an editor at like, hey, once we can hire people again, we'll bring you in. But that was like nearly a year later. So I moved to Philly to live with the parents in Malvern and got a job at J.G. Wentworth in Bryn Mawr, PA, cold calling, annuity sales and reconfigurations over the phone. Did that for a few months and thankfully was able to start my journalism career a few months later when the hiring freezes ended. But yeah, a few months living out in Bryn Mawr, spending way too much of the money I didn't have at the King of Prussia Mall and maybe driving to Atlantic City like every other paycheck because me and my buddies were dumb. So yeah, it was it was a fun time, fun time. So I used to work in, in Ardmore. We might have uh, oh, right strolled by one another. And uh, I've got family in Bryn Mawr myself. So. Very, very nice. I do Crazy. miss, I, gosh, I miss Wawa so much. I uh, live in Indianapolis now, but man, Wawa, dude. Italian. It, oh, he's got the Wawa coffee cup. Wawa's just, finest right there. Yeah. I miss Wawa so much, dude. There's nothing close in the Indianapolis area that even like really hits what Wawa was hitting. So, yeah. All right. So we totally went off on a tangent there. <laughs> I did fine. have another a real follow up as it relates to the journalist PR dynamic. Mm-hmm. You were you were talking about how you engage with them and you know, you're incorporating and thinking about grace, their side of the equation. I'm wondering when it comes to, quote unquote, sources who might call you up and try to plant a story idea, but they don't necessarily want to be involved in the story but maybe they want something out of you on the back end or in the future walk us through what might go through your head or like during a newsroom conversation as much as you can i understand you can't give us all of your thinking there but any broad thoughts on on something like that yeah no that's a really good question so for me when we have a source and and essentially the question is hey someone's got a, a story they don't want to be involved. They want to either kind of stay out of it, but they've got a story. So this is sounds more like, hey, you've got a tip from somebody um, and they're providing the tip for us. But it, that's super beneficial. Tips are the lifeblood, especially I think of my time as, as a police reporter, how many times we were able to do really important work from tips from anonymous sources. Um, mm. It's it's two things to to think about. One is this tip you're getting, is it something you can go verify on your own? Or is this anonymous source? Or you have to start getting to that conversation of, are we going to start quoting an anonymous source? You know, when you see stuff like people familiar with the situation, that's in a lot of stories that are breaking news. There are people who are of different minds of that. And that kind of comes down to what your newsroom is. Uh, My traditional upbringing, again, very traditional, very print media, very AP styles, we do not quote anonymous sources or refer to them unless we can get additional sources to verify that. That's just is what it is, because how can I stake the reputation of my institution and my journalistic principles? Again, things that I personally take very serious on the word of one person who I can't even verify. Because if someone comes back to my organization, like, hey, you reported this, what's your source? And I got one person who's not on the record. And then all of a sudden, here's a bunch of information to the alternative. Well, then you're in trouble. And there's no story worth at least how I was brought up risking your journalistic reputation or your organization's reputation for what might be a scoop. It's just not it. Um, And also on the whole, like, hey, we give you this tip. We want something on the back end. Personally, that's done. I shut that down. We don't Mm. do that's as close to pay for plays. You're going to get that's payola. That has no business in what I do. I'm sure there's plenty of writers who might take you up on that, 
But if that hits my door, my inbox, my phone, the call's done. And that person is not a source. That person is looking for an opportunity. And I'm sure as heck not letting anybody eat off my back. So that Mm -hmm. pretty much shuts it all down. So there's none of that. You help me. I help you. If you want to help, help because you want to help. Help because it's important. Help because you think the story is worth covering and because you don't see it properly being covered because I'm in it for that. But there's nothing you can promise me that's going to be worth me basically throwing everything I stake my career and my reputation on. Sorry, can't do it. Absolutely. Integrity all the way. And we appreciate you for it, Justin. Yeah. So you do a lot at financial planning. You write about wealth tech. You write about diversity and culture. In addition to leading and producing the financial planning podcast, that's a lot of hats. Mm -hmm. What are some of the challenges and joys when it comes to juggling those different roles? Uh, The fact that I don't know when to say no to stuff (laughs) that comes my way. I think it I've one of my favorite things about especially once I actually became a reporter was realizing that boy this job is not what you think it is your your you know job description might not be what you do and there really aren't any limits uh, especially now in this industry if you have an idea so I think the biggest challenge is that I want to do more in each of those individual things um, there's just not enough time in the day to do even more with how we're covering and presenting Wealth Tech at FP, to do even more with how we're covering DEI efforts and, and diversity at FP, to even doing more with the podcast, expanding into new areas, doing video, which we're working on and doing more voiceover stuff and educational content and hosting live. Like I want to do so much. So the biggest challenge is, is understanding what you have time for and what you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's always been kind of how I take in the business, you know, even as in my newspaper world, it's, I got the job as a newspaper reporter. That was the job description. But through that, I started doing on cameras and live shows and hosting and international anchoring and all kinds of stuff that wasn't technically my job. So I got to know when to say no, because it's understanding that if you don't put your most into whatever you're working on, it may suffer. So when you're balancing the roles, it's not burning yourself out. So you can make sure that the quality is consistent, that you're not giving less to this part of your job because you're going all in on this part. So that's been tough, you know, figuring that out, but that's always the challenge. And and, and I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And balancing all of those things. So you also have all the time for the things that are not work related that you enjoy Mm -hmm. and love and need to pour yourself into, I'm sure is a constant balancing game. Um, But we're impressed with how you do it. I forgot you also do all of the video content, like all of those future proof videos were so amazing. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Um, Aside from hanging us, hanging out with us at future proof this year, though, what does the future look like for you? Do you have any other journalistic bucket list items you're hoping to cross off? You know what, for sure. It's just, I want to, I want to go more places. I want to touch more stages. That's a big one for me is that it's an interesting thing, like coming to FP um, and I've joined financial planning in November, 2021. And again, it was, it was a thing where I'm making a transition after what had at that point been, you know, a 12, 13 year journalism career. So it's, uh, it's a change. It's like, you're a veteran in the industry itself, but this is still new covering wealth tech is something I've only done for just a shade over a year specifically. So it's a new world, a new challenge. And one thing I've loved is getting out. Like you said, future proof. I want to go to more stuff. I want to do more hosting, more presenting, hit more stages. Thankfully this fall, I'm going to be really busy and going to a bunch of different places. In addition to, I know FP will be back at future proof and a bunch of other things that I already have on my calendar. Where I'm going to be traveling a ton 
for the uh, last part of the year. So that's what I'm most excited about getting to meet more people, getting to talk to more strangers and tell more cool stories. That's, that's really number one on the list. There's nothing better than being in person. Really? Right. It's great. It's great. Can't wait to see you back at Huntington beach. Oh man. It's going to be a vibe. Like, Hey, red man and method man is on the bill. And, uh, they had a big influence on me as a as a kid coming up. I listen to music all the time. I do music as well. So yeah, Red and Meth, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in there. <laughs> Ugh, that was another article of yours that I absolutely loved. Great feature piece. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Big Boy uh, was uh, a vibe and had a lot of fun. <laughs> yes. And thanks to <laughs> a FP, vibe and a me, half. Let me write a little first person on that. And that was that was a lot of fun. Love that. Awesome. Well, Jimmy, I think we're ready for our second segment. Let's get into some play. Yeah, um, definitely. Cool. So, Justin, obviously, you have covered so many different beats throughout your career. Besides financial services, which obviously is your favorite, what is your other favorite beat you've ever covered? Uh, number one favorite has to be still always be uh, public safety, crime mm. courts. It's essentially the police beat is what it always gets simplified to. It's the first beat I ever covered. It was what I wanted to cover when I was a kid. And at heart, I still consider myself a cops reporter. I just happen to be doing it in this world. But that mentality I hold on to because people think being a cops reporter is all about like finding the juicy thing and the thing that's going to make people, you know, stop or be shocked. No, the thing I loved about being a cops reporter was that you've got to have a level of compassion on another level, a level of tact, uh, professionalism, because you're talking about really gruesome stuff and talking to people often on the worst day of their lives after they've lost someone, after they've experienced something terrible, mm. after they've been accused of something horrific, that empathy is important. And I'll be a cops reporter because I carry that into any beat that I cover, even in wealth tech. Now keeping that front and center is why I'll always be a cops beat guy. Awesome. Great response. Okay. If it weren't wealth tech reporting or being a journalist, let's say mm. broader, what would mm -hmm. you be doing? Mm -hmm. Oh, man, I'd still be talking to strangers. I'd probably be doing something <laughs> on stage more than likely. Well, the other thing that I've done as long as reporting is made music. Um, yeah. Uh, producing, writing, rapping, singing since I was in middle school and um, have a lot of credits. I One of the reasons I even have this all this audio set up for the podcast is because it's also part of my uh, other world uh, doing music. So I'd probably lean more into that. I like working with artists, especially now that I'm getting a little older to be getting on stages, even though I still did a show not that long ago and have a few more coming up. It'd probably be leaning more into that, creating something. I, I, as long as I'm making something out of nothing, I'm happy. Love it. Amazing. I uh, definitely will have to check out some of your music after this too. Yes, um, yes. What do you do for fun? What do you do when you're not working? Oh my gosh, way too many things. So uh, me and my wife uh, have a lot of interests and there's not enough time to get into to all of them, which is always the thing that makes us the saddest. But we're big outdoorsy people. We like to go on walks and hikes and stay active like that. So that's a big, huge thing for us in general. Um, but myself, my personal interest, I'm a huge video game guy, video game geek since day one. And it's always just an all-encompassing passion. Uh, my office, which you can't see out of camera, uh, is covered in a second screen and video game consoles and controllers. And uh, I actually have a hobby where I custom build arcade sticks, which if anybody was born in the arcades uh, in the 90s and 80s, yeah, like the, the sticks and stand-up cabinets from you know the old Street Fighter consoles, that's what I do in my free time. I've done competitive fighting game tournaments and all that stuff. Um, I'm also just... Look, for better or worse, I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. I'll just say that for fun. I'm watching matches, current, past, and present. 
Um, I'm a huge fan of Japanese pro wrestling, which means I have to get up at three or four in the morning to watch those matches live because their bell times are, you know, it's 3 a.m. Eastern. Well, that's 4 p.m. in Tokyo and they're getting started for a Sunday night show. So I'm up. So I watch a lot of wrestling. Yeah, I know it's weird. My wife is a great sport. She puts up with it. And also just a huge, uh, uh, big, big fan of, of anime and comic books. All of that stuff is just my world. So it's all of that. Oh, and I'm also a big foodie. I love to cook. Uh, my wife is great. I actually tell her to stay out of my kitchen um, because <laughs> that's I love to cook. I got that from my dad. So it's trying new recipes. I'm a sucker for those like YouTube videos of like, hey, here's this 17 ways to make a scrambled egg. I'm going to go do that. I have nothing. I have no choice. <laughs> so that's kind of how I wind down. It's it's video games, cooking, anime and wrestling. That's me. amazing. So, you know, wrestling's fake, right? What? What do you mean? Co- I mean, you know, come like, on. Come on, man. Like some no, of those storylines, like it's uh, absurd. a wrestler Honestly, coming back from the dead. And that happens all the time. You just got to believe, Jimmy. No, you know yeah. what? The <laughs> funny thing about wrestling is that when I got into it, like when I was a kid, it wasn't because of wrestling. It was because of video games. I didn't know wrestlers were real until I turned on the TV and saw the guys from the video game fake fighting in their tights. And I'm like, boy, this is what the heck is going on. So I grew out of it when I got older, because of course you do when you're in high school. I'm trying to, you know, get a date. I'm not watching wrestling. What's going on? But as I got even older, I got back into it because I appreciated how difficult that is from a performance standpoint. You're a grown man. You're going out there in front of a bunch of beer soaked strangers in a town you're not from in your short pants to make them care and to make them feel something. And I always love the guys the most who are great on the microphone. The Rowdy Roddy Pipers, the guys who could make you hate them or love them by just talking trash in the middle of a ring. And a lot of my presenting and hosting and even podcasting I do now is inspired by watching wrestling promos from guys who could really talk. Wow. Rick Flair and Dwayne Johnson, who had a pretty decent acting career from what he learned uh, as The Rock, as a wrestler. It worked out for him. Love um, Dwayne. Guys- you know, current guys like CM Punk, who's, you know, these guys who are orators in the ring and and that and a lot of great podcasters are also wrestlers. Chris Jericho, Stone Cold Steve Austin, great podcast. And it helped me develop my style on the mic. So, yeah, wrestling's weird, but you can take something from it if you look hard <laughs> enough. Just don't look too hard because then it gets weird. again. So, yeah. You can take something from anything if you look hard enough. There you go. I don't know much about wrestling, but I will say Big proponent of get outside. Appreciate that you and your wife are getting out as much as possible. We love it. And are you a fan of the Miyazaki anime movies? Oh, my gosh. Look, I've seen all of them and I'm obsessed. If you want to come back and talk about uh, uh, Spirited Away. Yeah. We can do that. We can have a whole Studio Ghibli uh, dedication podcast because, yeah, Miyazaki is the man. Uh, There will be no ill words spoken against him. So I see, I knew I liked you for a reason. You got absolutely. Oh my gosh. Spirited away. Oh. So good. Oh, I saw man. princess Mononoke when I was like eight, probably way too violent for the time. It was I've blew been a my fan mind. ever since. I'm like, what right? is this a cartoon? Oh my gosh. Go watch a Miyazaki movie. Everyone who's listening, yes. that's your homework. Go. Absolutely agree. Um, and follow studio Ghibli on Twitter. If you want little Miyazaki blips in your timeline, it's a nice absolutely. timeline cleanser. Yes. Yes. All right, so I'm going to move on to our final question. We like to wrap the show with a moment of gratitude, Justin. Give a shout out to someone in the industry you admire, perhaps someone on your team, someone in your life, and just, yeah, say something nice about someone who may or may not be listening. Well, that's a a really tough one because I always feel like I have a lot of people that I kind of owe what I'm doing to, to, because the other part about me taking a non-traditional path into being a journalist is the fact that I didn't have 
the usual collection of clips or, or news articles to refer to when I was trying to get a job. I needed somebody who was just going to be like, we believe in this kid because of what he shows us he can do and what he wants to do because I didn't work for the school paper. I didn't work for the high school paper. Sorry, those, those reps weren't there. So when I'm thinking about people to shout out, the, the one person I'll shout out, his name is Dave Bangert. Um, he's still a reporter now. Uh, he does it all independently through a sub stack, but he was my first boss ever. He was the local editor at the Lafayette Journal and Courier when I was an intern in 2007. And when I graduated, when he couldn't even hire people, he stayed in contact with me and he gave me my first job uh, in February 2009 was the first time I could say I was a full time paid reporter. Before that, it was just freelance and night stuff and trying to make it happen. And again, he had no reason to take a chance on me. He taught me more than I'll ever be able to retain about this business. And he did it at such a high level for so long and kind of represents to me, you know, what a local journalist is. It's not a business you get into because you want to make a ton of money, but you do it because you feel there's a ton of importance to it and uh, spend his whole career, you know, working hard. uh, uh, And even when it was time for him to leave that publication, he still to this day does it independently covering the city of Lafayette better than anybody does on his sub stack. So I'm going to shout out Dave Banger. someone who was my boss and now is just my friend. Uh, every year we actually go to like me and my wife drive down to, to him and his wife's and spend family uh, Thanksgiving with them uh, because, you know, me living in wow. Cleveland, getting back home was tough. And one year, this was after I stopped working for him. He hit me up like, hey, want to come to Thanksgiving? Now that's our tradition. We've been doing that for like going on a decade now. Well, we play washers in the backyard. If you're from the Midwest, you might know what that is. If you don't, you're like, what the hell is washers? But yeah, Dave Banger, great guy and kind of exemplifies what this business is all about to me. Awesome. Shout out to Dave because he got you here in some way, shape or form. And we're so grateful to work with you, Justin. Thank you. And yeah, thank you to our listeners. We hope that you learned something new. We know that you did. Let's be honest and enjoyed hearing about Justin's powerful story. Thank you again, Justin, so much for being on the show and to everyone who listened in today. Be sure to write us via email at pressplay at streetcredpr.com to tell us what you think, ask us any questions, ask Justin any questions, suggest any guests, mm-hmm. or just tell us what you had for lunch today. Thanks again for tuning in, and we absolutely can't wait for our next show. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Press Play, the Street Cred Podcast. Visit our website at streetcredpr.com and find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Please don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. And if you enjoyed the episode, we'd love nothing more than if you would rate and review the show. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of StreetCred PR. The content has been made available for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. If you have questions about the show or StreetCred PR, feel free to reach out to us. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>